0: What did you eat for breakfast?
1: I haven't had breakfast yet. I woke up an hour ago.
0: (laughs) Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 81. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians' community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. Please welcome to the show, Michelle Rubio-Garcia, host of the Beat the Clock podcast, high school English teacher and best-selling author. We take a deep dive into the psychology of self-talk, creating a mindset of abundance instead of scarcity, and discuss various strategies to celebrate wins. Through this conversation, we learn about Michelle's upbringing, her journey into coaching dance and teaching, and what led her to pursue a PhD in communications after already graduating with an MA and a BA. Going along with this episode, and the subject of continuously improving yourself and growing in various different ways, I have been reconsidering offering a service where I do an audit on a band's social media and websites to make recommendations on ways to improve reach and connecting with fans. I'll be posting about this in more detail in the next week or so, but if you are interested in working with me to help your band, get in touch and we can set up a Zoom call. Here is Michelle Rubio Garcia from Beat the Clock. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Michelle Rubio Garcia, who... Is the um, showrunner uh, for the Beat the Clock podcast? Welcome, and how are you doing?
1: Hi, Simon. Um, thank you for having me. I'm doing well.
0: Awesome. Yeah, let's uh, let's get started. Uh, Could you give me a brief introduction of what your podcast
1: is about? Um, that's, that's a nice little shout out to the podcast. It's basically a timed one. So, um, we'll talk about that later cause you're kind of helping me with that, but yeah. we, we do a 35 to 45 minute breakdown of a person's narrative, basically their life story. And we break that up into four questions and, um, kind of by making those questions very centered around time. We get people to see how each chapter, no matter how bad or how off course it is from the current chapter that you're in, um, is very, very connected and um, is very much the inspiration for what's to come. So um, people are always waiting for the right moment for success or to try to go after their goals. And Beat the Clock is here to show you that, you know, everything that you think is a hindrance is actually something, a springboard for what you actually want and to just go after it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I really like the fact that beat the clock refers to not only the format of the show, beating like an actual clock to get the answers, but it's, it's kind of a metaphor for life. Like you have to beat your own life clock to get something, you know, meaningful done with your life. So I think that, that, that really speaks to me. So that's really cool. Um, what, what episode do you, have you had published at this point?
1: I've had um, 12 of them by the time probably this broadcast. And um, okay. I considering that, you know, it's in its very primitive stages, I've had some really cool guests. So I um, booked this guy who was like labeled the top 10 entrepreneurs slash influencers to follow in 2020 by Yahoo Finance. I've That's had um, this social media expert who has worked with fortune 500 companies um it's a super throwback for some of the older i guess listeners but we also booked william hung um he was an american idol like in the 2000s and and he was really famous for like uh kind of butchering ricky martin's she bangs and um what else there's there's so many and like my favorite as a dance lover i currently i'm gonna schedule an interview with an mba choreographer so he, he does a lot of the choreography there and the nfl so um it's been a very cool ride i i really didn't plan on naming the podcast beat the clock but now that i did and settled on that I feel like people are more drawn to my podcast because of the concept that you're saying. It is a metaphor for life. And the reason that the colors are pink and green are to kind of add some life to it. Because if you really think of the metaphor at its root, that's kind of depressing, right? Um, if for those that are a little can be. Uh, unmotivated, right? Or feeling lost, uh, beat the clock. I mean, it's a reminder of our mortality. And not everybody wants that. So I use this colorful background. Uh, for those mm-hmm. of you that don't see it, it's like a Tex-Mex desert-themed thing. And um, those colors really informed the branding so that um, it could be more enticing for everybody. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be depressing if you think. Of, I mean, there's what, you go on, you go on um, the internet and you can find the death clock. You put in your age and your birthday and it gives you how many theoretical seconds you have to live. So yeah, again, you know, I I think it's, I think it's, it can be if you're not really doing anything, but if you are taking time to celebrate wing wins and you're actually uh, planning, um, it doesn't have to be depressing.
1: Right. Like I just spoke with that, um, in one of my podcast episodes, um, one of the guys, he's like a healer life coach or whatever he was saying, you know, there's the difference between wanting more because you're excited about life versus more because you're in a slump. He's like, I used to hate that there was more to life. And he said, Oh, there's more, like I've already done enough work and stuff like that. But then when you look at life and your existence as something positive as a, and as a contribution to the world, you're excited and you're like, Oh, there's more. And you just jump into stuff because you are not scared of your mortality. It just kind of adds an urgency to it. So
0: for sure. Um, And I think that that actually is a good jumping off point to talk about like entrepreneurship and self-improvement. I mean, let's talk about your background a little bit. You've got a BA in communications, an MA in English, and you're studying a PhD in philosophy. Did I get that right?
1: Communication. But that's okay. It's all kind of uh, in the same wheelhouse. Right. So, um, you know, first of all,
0: congratulations on two, uh, an MA and a BA, and then congratulations on, on... Uh, finding the time to get a phd that's that's quite an achievement but um like what what for you is you know what what's driving you for that that thirst for knowledge and that continuous like finding out what what's next
1: yeah that's a really nice question so i'm glad you brought up education um i think if you would have asked me this question maybe four years ago, it would have been a very different answer because I thought of education and degrees as such a linear transactional experience. You know, you get one and you get a job and that's it. It's like a trade-off. But um, in between my MA and my PhD, I took a year off and I did that because before I think I was going to jump into this PhD experience um, for vanity, right? For those three Mm -hmm. little letters, for the esteem that comes with having a terminal degree or whatever but then I finished my MA and for anybody that's scared to pursue graduate level degrees, um, it is very humbling. Like you think it's intimidating because it's going to be an overwhelming amount of information, but that information actually makes you realize how little, you know, right? Like Mm. the deeper I get into this, I don't feel more specialized. I feel more, um, I guess excited to explore because the deeper you get, the, the bigger you see it is, you know, and mm-hmm. so um, I had to wait a year, and I was self-evaluating like, is this the right move, and am I willing to get into some debt for this? And you know, I, I'm going to be 30 next month, so am I willing to still be in school in my 30s with the, the uh, possibility that you know there might not be a guaranteed job? And so I had to kind of wrestle with those tough questions, and I came to the conclusion that it's totally worth it because. If we're not learning, um, basically, we're becoming subject to manipulation and to exploitation. So the thirst for knowledge doesn't come from a tangible outcome such as money. It comes from the desire to be in control uh, because I tell my students all the time, we pay doctors because they know more vocabulary than us. That's literally it. Because if you think about it, even the term that they use, they practice medicine, that implies that it's not concrete, it's just guesswork. So really, right. they're learning a bunch of vocabulary, they're learning a bunch of charts, and then they charge you an arm and a leg and a premium for that service. So um, I tell them, you know, going to college is really not for a job, and it's really not for everybody, I'll say that too now. Sure. Um, I don't think I would be able to say that before, but if you wanna be a, a leader, a thought leader, um, somebody who wants to create rather than consume then um, education is, is extremely good for that
0: oh for sure yeah I mean my own journey um, kind of stopped because I was pursuing a, a graphic design degree and I felt that I mean in part it part in part it was money but um, I found that the courses were just because I'd been so specialized for I don't know 15 years up to that point I wasn't learning anything mm-hmm. maybe if I'd have pursued a different degree in something different I would have maybe gotten more a lot more out of it but then I decided you know what as as someone who's eternally curious um I'm just kind of better off you know writing my own path and, and discovering stuff that um you know I want to learn outside of the framework of a degree now the degree did give me a lot of uh kind of deadlines and and that really pushed me to do you know certain um you know assignments, but I think if I'm able to just go in any tangent I want, then it, it gives me more freedom. And you know, the internet's such a huge place that I can get the information I need, it's just not as you know set out. It's just I just have to work a bit harder to find it,
1: right? I like that you bring that up because that's what I like too about school the structure of it. Um, I was listening to a master class on. Um, the director of a very famous dance school in New York. And she was um, answering the question, you know, are dance degrees even needed anymore with social media Mm -hmm. and with viral dancers and all that stuff? And she said, you know, nothing's going to replace the connections that you make in a degree, a BFA, and nothing's going to replace the rigor of it uh, schedule-wise. Like a dancer, even the most trained one, will have you know, lazy days and they won't want to commit to a schedule, but school puts you in that habit and discipline of, you know, just working those long hours and kind of uh, training your life away. And that's what's ultimately going to get you those bigger jobs in the dance world. So yeah, anything you can learn is available online for free, but if mm. you want a community and if you want a little more urgency again, to beat the clock and kind of do this a little faster then than school is way to go.
0: Right. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so let's let's dig into school because you are a an English school teacher. Are, are you you teaching high school level students? Or?
1: Right, I teach high school upperclassmen, so juniors and seniors. But I teach um, what's called dual credit uh, here in Texas, and so I teach with the local community college, and through our collaboration, they get a high school English credit, but also college composition credit. So I'm like a technically i work with high school demographics but i'm teaching college content cool
0: um and then you also were the director of and you've mentioned dance a couple of times you're a director of a dance team in
1: in school I was so this is gonna be my first school year that um I don't do that and it's to pursue this stuff like this you know and to kind of network a little more and really just get the experience I was feeling in the dance world which was the satisfaction of changing lives and kind of just going in a grander scale so awesome Mm
0: -hmm. um and you know this is this is a music podcast primarily so obviously being dance that's that's kind of part of the creative um you know, creative space, what got you into dance and and presumably music at the same time
1: initially? I mean, I was super curious every time I would see award show performances and stuff like that growing up. And I wanted to jump into that space, but my parents were um, kind of advising me to use my height to my advantage because I'm like 5'8 or 5'9. So they were like, get into basketball, like you'll shine there. And I did that Mm -hmm. um, when I was younger for a little bit, but I didn't really Get the same satisfaction as I did once I switched over to dance, and I was um, dancing competitively from age around 11 to 20. I want to say, I mean, 19 and 20 were just in college, but um, dance was like regularly in my life at that point, all throughout. And um, dancing is just something that is universal, I feel like, even. Um, somebody who would never look at a dance routine, if it's choreographed correctly, and if it's the right music, anyone can feel something. And, um, it's an experience that doesn't need words, right? Like we're saying, um, education gives you a lot of the vernacular to, to kind of be ahead of the game, but, um, dance can be the equalizer in the same way that music can be because you don't need to say a word and you're connecting with people and communicating a feeling that is part of the human condition.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, and then how how did you
0: discover like entrepreneurship self-improvement lifelong learning all that kind of encompasses one thing like what what sparked it for you because there's a lot of people that just don't have that thirst for knowledge is that something that your parents instilled into you is, is there just like, where does the drive come from?
1: Yeah, my parents were super hard workers. And I was just having this conversation recently with my mother. I was telling her, you know, I feel like if you guys would have uh, not had us <laughs> at the young <laughs> age that they did, because my mom got pregnant at 18. So right away, they had to, you know, grow up and, and you know, they sacrificed for us to be good uh, children and have the opportunities. But they have the drive of an entrepreneur, both of them. But they just never had the time to do it. So I told her, you know, I think had you just waited a bit with children, you would have definitely been um, an entrepreneur and someone who excelled because they have the work ethic of someone like that, but they just never had the opportunity to risk the way I mm. can right now. So, um, yeah, I feel like this is a very new phenomenon for me to want to do entrepreneurship because I got into teaching for the stability. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this pandemic has just kind of magnified an initial gut feeling that I was having, which is that I don't know if I want to devote 30 years of my life in four walls, you know. Um I, I like the schedule of teaching, I, I'm not gonna bash teaching at all. It's a great career, it's the best teacher for me. But um, can I see myself being so mechanical, you know? Uh, um, I feel like even though I am I'm in a very nice position at my school. I have an ideal teaching assignment with the college, so I don't have to conform to the same curriculum as my colleagues. But um, I mean, I just feel like the system keeps trying to confine us as educators. And um, like you're saying, I'm very much a creative and I don't know that I can really (laughs) uh, box myself in that much. My whole life I was trying to box myself in and I thought, okay, teaching is going to give me the flexibility to have parameters but still thrive and i did but i wasn't satisfied so Mm. it's now about just being curious and being brave enough to let that curiosity grow into whatever it's going to grow
0: absolutely that's i think i think that word for word is the uh the definition of of a a classic entrepreneur just not being satisfied in a box um do you you watch the um office space movie no. Oh my God. Everybody. No, you got to watch office <laughs> space. It'll ruin you. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's um, the creator of Beavis and Butthead did a, like a, um, you know, a corporate uh, parody of, of office life and Jennifer Aniston's in it. And it's an older movie. Uh, it's really, really funny.
1: Yeah. I know um, which, which one you're talking about, but I guess I never paid attention to it. And now that we're on this whole entrepreneur track, maybe I'll have to go back and you, you will use it as fuel. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, so on that uh, on that conversation, um, you know, as a teacher, how do you instill that kind of mindset into kids? Because you see kids that don't have an interest in finding out; they just, you know, go with the flow, and what you know whether that's a love of learning or entrepreneurship as a thing you know, how, how do you teach kids that mindset?
1: Um, I gotta be honest, if it's really difficult, if you're not living it out yourself, you know, so, um, I practice curiosity often in my classroom, or I, I, not that I censor children, but I don't allow them to kind of just repeat the patterns that they've learned. Right. Cause a lot of us do that. I don't just want to like, think about the children as the only ones that are subject to this kind of habitual negativity, everybody can just internalize a certain thought process. And it, it comes off so much of a reflex that you think it's your personality, but it's not, you know. Um, unfortunately, we become jaded over time just because of, I don't know, things like bullying, uh, things like other people's expectations, other people's senses of what's possible. So whenever they say something's not possible, I really take the time to have conversations with them and kind of see where that's coming from. And if they say that it's impossible to do something, you know, um, like some want to be lawyers and their parents are like elementary school dropouts, so for them that reality is just so far fetched. Um, and I just kind of really break it down sometimes and say, you know, it's not as hard as you think. And I show them the process, how you got to go to law school and the potential. Um, salary you could get once you pass the bar and all that good stuff. So it's just about opening people's eyes to possibility because we have, um, you know, tunnel vision and we have blinders on because of our limitations and our fears. So um, I think even doing stuff like this, I, I didn't even tell my students that I was doing some of the stuff that I'm doing now and they're already liking the podcast page. And I know for a fact, some of them has purchased the book that I wrote recently. Um wow. And, um, they, they get that inspiration because there's somebody around them that looks like them, thinks like them, talks like them. And when they see somebody like them, um, trying these things, it kind of empowers them to kind of repeat that bravery. So, um, I know this is a little off topic, but representation, uh, representation is so important in media, uh, because, Mm -hmm. you know, your podcast is called music on your own terms. And so I like the term at the end or the phrase on your own terms. So if these children want to create their own lives on their own terms, not what their parents are telling them, not what um, they think is the right thing, what people want to hear, they need to just be honest with themselves and they need to be cognizant of the fact that there's a degree of error but being comfortable that you can overcome that because I think they're just scared of the failure and that one failure it means the whole process is a failure but that's not necessarily the case. Um, Failure just kind of means that that way didn't work but there are other ways to get to the same goal and they just got to be willing to face that and to kind of keep going.
0: Absolutely And, and to that point I mean, I, I feel failure is is uh, extremely important to finding out why things don't work and why things do work. If you don't fail, you'll never know how to fix something, first of all. And you'll never know, you know, what the alternatives are. So fail, you know, that what's the quote? Fail fail quickly, fail often, and something like that. I'm butchering it, but it's, you know, make sure that you when you fail, you get back up, try something different get back up, try something different. It's, it's really important.
1: Yeah. And, um, there's a church, uh, Winston Churchill quote that I use in my other podcast. I'm going to butcher it too, but it says, um, to improve is to change and to perfect is to change often. So mm. even when you are in a rhythm, you still have to be anticipatory and kind of, you know, on the defense all the time because obstacles are going to come your way no matter what. Um, to get like kind of spiritual on you, like suffering is a guarantee, but it's, uh, two types of suffering, the suffering that will teach you or the suffering that's going to drain you. And so you just have to kind of pick your poison, so to speak, because, um, yeah, this is part of the the process. So it's just a matter of getting comfortable with it, like I'm saying, and to realize that even when you're excelling, you're still going to have to grow and quote unquote fail.
0: For sure. And I I like the fact that you brought up, um, the language we use ourself and how, you know, reusing the same language, especially when it's negative, really is is problematic in, in conditioning yourself to, to, you know, succeed. I mean, the whole point of setting this podcast up was because when I was playing in New Hampshire in a band, I was always hearing, well, you can't make money from streaming, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if people are telling themselves that it's true but if you turn it around and say how can i make money then you can actually empower yourself to go out and find the different tools and and procedures in which with which to kind of make money and do it that way so
1: yeah and going back to the name beat the clock that was a big inspiration of that like i'm not saying that you can't do what you want to do but i'm saying it's going to take a while so the longer you keep having that negative self talk and the longer you keep making those excuses you're wasting valuable time that it would take for you to perfect something because everything that's worthwhile is going to require sacrifice in terms of your schedule. So it's about beating the clock and cutting down that um, amount of time that you're just ruminating and instead kind of just forcing you into action and getting the ball going.
0: Absolutely. And it's just like, uh, you know, investing financially and and you see the, the, um, the compound interest curve, you know, I I feel that education and and basically anything that you do, you know, can follow that uh, compound interest curve. Because if you start investing in yourself with education, education, you know, and knowledge, breeds more education and knowledge, and that curve will exponentially rise. Right.
1: And a former student of mine, because once they graduate, I tell them you can add me on social media. One of them, um, he moved to a university out of town. Right. And he's the first one in his family to do so. And he posted something that said the reason that I'm doing this is because if I do it, then I let my brothers do it. And um, I thought that was very wise of him in his early 20s to be realizing that. I don't know that I was that much of a sage back then but um yeah he, he realizes the effect like once you do it it kind of has a butterfly effect around the community around you because again people are just waiting for permission and you don't even necessarily need to um audibly say i give you permission but just by you doing it and living it you give other people permission absolutely um so yeah let's
0: let's talk a little bit more about your podcast um you know we we've we've kind of explored the format a little bit like what what are your goals uh long term and where do you see yourself you know in 50, uh, 50 episodes let's say
1: so um the podcast is really the springboard into the aspirations of mine to start like a coaching slash consulting firm And, um, the podcast space is great for those of you who are interested in starting your own, because you really get to build a network around yourself and that can add credibility in your field. Um, people think you have to do X, Y, and Z to be qualified or labeled as an expert, but really you just got to step into it. And again, throw yourself into the process before you even have the title, hustle your way a little bit into this thing. And then people will start looking at you as such. So, um, Although I don't have any life coaching credentials right now, um, I mean, I've been arguably coaching the youth for seven years. So I really think that um, I'm very qualified. And even with my PhD, the concentrations I want to focus on are going to tie directly into my business. So I want to do um, organizational communication, uh, crisis communication, and intra tra with RA, personal communication, which means how we talk to ourselves. So my research is actually gonna inform my practice. And I'm just really excited to kind of see this synergy work itself out. And um, I mean, I already wrote one book, and I plan on writing three more. Those are the ones that are in my head. I just haven't gotten them out on paper. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just starting a movement kind of that's the hope anyway, to kind of empower people. Awesome. So what's
0: this, the book that you've already released about, and what are the ones that you've got in your head about, if you can talk about them?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so the first one's called Breakthrough Fear, and then colon, it's a long subtitle, but Embracing mm-hmm. Challenges to um, Illuminate Your Best Self. And so again, it's just not letting fear control your decision-making. And I go on a rant, basically, but an eloquent one. (laughs) And I kind of look back at my journey, because for me, giving up that dance position was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And I know that that sounds like very dramatic, but I was so emotionally invested in that decision. Um, I really liked the respect I got, because as a teacher, I didn't get nearly the same level of respect as I did as a dance coach, because I guess since they were seeing my creative process literally, um, vicariously through the girls, uh, it was a very visible metric to kind of validate that I was successful. And I didn't want to gamble that it was comfortable. And it was, again, something creative. So I felt like there's not that many opportunities in my city to get paid like this for doing something like this. And um, it just felt like too much of a risk. And I felt like, kind of willingly stepping down, especially when I was kind of peaking because um, just last year we had secured the school's first ever national title in history. And uh, uh, thank you. And I mean, it was something that I honestly thought I was going to stay in forever. I thought I was going to be an an institution at that school. I thought that was going to be my little empire. And it was just going to be this whole thing. But um, the pandemic has given me plenty of time to kind of strategize for the next step. Did I know exactly what I was going to do once I gave it up? No. But again, you got to find those opportunities in your schedule to really evaluate the next step. And um, I just kind of, I, honestly, it's like, I, I think out loud in that book. And I just kind of uh, sprinkle it with, you know, a little bit of research and a little bit of advice. And um, it's it's been a good experience. It was all an experiment, really, because I told everybody I wanted to debut as number one on Amazon in my category and I just kind of mobilized a little team and we got it going and it succeeded. It, it debuted as number one under spiritual self-help and then it peaked at number two um, under emotional self-help. So again, this is somebody who had no press, no nothing, just word of mouth, just drive and um, I got it done in under 30 days. <laughs> so um, I mean, it's possible. And honestly, I didn't think I was going to get it. I was just going on blind faith. And I was just like, the work will take care of itself. And people like to be a part of something bigger. So I just kept promoting it on my social media. And even people that I hadn't talked to since elementary school were willing to help me out and kind of get more exposure for that book. So um, again, you can really surprise yourself once you let go of what you treasure. Like, even if it's something positive. Um, and just kind of let yourself again, surrender to, to what's really um, at your fingertips, but you've been too busy or distracted to kind of try and reach for it.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So uh, what, significant negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you?
1: Um, I mentioned it in the first episode of my podcast. So for a long, long time, I've been praised for my leadership skills or my ability to kind of just act and get things done. Uh, But I kind of minimized its impact because people would tell me that what I was doing was like a pipe dream. You know, Anything I wanted to do or anything, even a PhD in communication, people were saying communication is too broad, but I mean, I I think arguably more than ever now, communication is king, because um, anything that we're doing online is communication. Anything that we're doing with people is communication. So um, people are valuing those skills, which are called soft skills, more than hard skills, which is, you know, mastery of English and math, you know, whatever. So um, I also mentioned that when I was really, really young, people were Critical of my voice, you know, and like my actual voice and they said it was a little um, deeper for a woman. So that really kind of haunted me for more than I really thought until this pandemic. And when I was creating, it was so nerve wracking. I was alone, like nobody was watching me. And I was so scared to just press record. And, um, I was just so scared to talk, you know, and I couldn't believe that I had that much fear when I can easily get on a mic to talk in front of a a pep rally, when I can easily direct my team and tell them what to do when I teach all the time. And I just couldn't believe that just adding one little element. I mean, I talk all the time, but adding a microphone was like a huge obstacle. And so it's taught me that, you know, we need to kind of be thinking of where our choices come from. I stayed in teaching because again, I was safe there. I knew the impact I had, but nobody was watching me. Um, And it was just kind of in my bubble. Like it was kind of me proving it to myself that I was worthy. Right. And so getting on the mic was saying, you know, regardless of the praise I'm going to get from anybody, regardless if anybody's in the room, I am going to be worthy period and just trust that what I have to say adds value to somebody's life and that that's a good thing that it doesn't matter if I'm not getting paid for it yet. It doesn't matter that people think um, it's like a really random pivot in my life. It's just something that's always been a drive of mine to kind of investigate and ask questions and talk to people. So podcasting feels like a very natural fit considering uh, my background. Awesome.
0: Yeah. You know, just uh, to touch on that point. I mean, my friend Dave from waking up from work podcast always tells the story about you know how he's at a barbecue, family barbecue, and they ask him what he does for a living, and he's like, "Well, I'm a, I'm a recording engineer." And and his his, or, you know his his beef is basically, "Oh well, what are you gonna do when that doesn't work out?" And it's like these you know these people may be well intentioned, but they're they're living, you know they they're kind of looking at your life through their own glasses, so they're not they don't have the same perspectives and you know like you said before i mean it's it's basically that that whole thing of you know it's not it's not conceivable to them so it it's not something that can make you successful
1: right so that's a, a guess i guess a little nugget i want to give to everybody um because people tell you something that doesn't mean that it's your reality that means it's their reality and when they tell you that it's nothing inherently wrong with you it's just that they haven't dealt with their processing of reality and they haven't dealt with the um, maybe self-esteem issues that they have. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people, if you boil it down to what they would initially want to do in their lives, I, I think if you, if you're confused, I guess I'm, I'm like going, jumping around, but if you're confused in life, just remember what you liked as a child and what you were drawn to. And I think all of us um, eventually want to go back to that, but some of us have already just completely rationalize our way out of that. And we never touch it again. So those are the people that are going to be very negative towards you. Those are the people that never want to go back to, I'll call it the inner child. And they just, um, they, how can I say this? I don't want to be offensive. Um, (laughs) in, in them telling, you no, they feel and rationalize their own choices, right? So if they tell, you no, and you succumb to it, it's like, Oh, my reality is valid right? They're just trying to bring you down. Whereas um, if you keep going and you, again, lead by example, you can shift their reality. And some people don't want that shift, right? Some people want to stay comfortable in the interpretations they've created for themselves, because by acknowledging that they might um, be wrong, that means they wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy, and a lot of emotion and things that really didn't satisfy them. So Those are extremely tough conversations that people are not willing to have with themselves. And so they will do anything else, which may include bringing others down to retain their identity, even if it's bad.
0: Absolutely. Um, So flipping the original question, what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this as a journey?
1: Um, So everything that I've done, starting from the releasing of the dance team, has been like an, an ascension, right? Um, I, I really did it honestly for spiritual reasons. I, I felt like I got committed to God, um, in January of 2019, like seriously for the first time in my life. And then I got baptized in January of 2020. So, um, it was a feeling that I already felt I needed to, um, kind of make a move on, you know, before, but then the more I kept praying about it, the more questions kept getting answered, you know? and. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's, it's almost like God's laughing, uh, because, you know, we think we have control. And I was saying, I'm going to hold on until I win a second national title because the first one is a fluke. Right. And then, um, COVID happens and we can't go to nationals. And I was going to say, um, I'm going to do it an extra year because I'm waiting for this girl that's on my team to graduate. Cause I'm a really big mother figure to her. And I know she needs me. She quits. Um, And I didn't know that that was ever on her radar and randomly too. So, you know, um, finally, I said, I'm for this past year, I'm going to do this amount of routines because this is what I normally do. And I'm not going to end on a bad note. And then all of my officers, which are the captains or the leadership team, all of them quit except the captain. So I can't do the normal amount of routines. And again, these are all things that have never happened before in my life. And it was just, I mean, it was so glaringly obvious, you know, it, it was time. It was time and I just surrendered and everything I've done after that has led to incredible things. The book debuting as number one um, with the podcast. I mean, my listenership isn't in, in crazy impressive right now, but um, I mean, the, the people I'm able to secure on this thing are, are insane. You know, For if you look at my Instagram followers, if you look at the Facebook pages, people really believe in the idea. So every step I take in faith is kind of, um, asserting that I made the right choice and that trusting God is, um, the right move. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And I I think, um, you know, going to your point about not having, you know, crazy numbers or anything, I think it it goes back to that quality, a quality of a quantity. And also, um, you know, that idea of, of compound interest, you know, you just have to keep putting the, the in up front and eventually things will take off because, um, you know, you'll get you'll get people spreading the word over time and and it'll it'll kind of radiate out. But well, that's great. Um, yeah, and, and
1: I, I already, Go ahead. Um, I also want to mention that some of the people that I'm drawn to or that I'm interviewing, they don't have the biggest um, following either, at least superficially. Right. Um, one of them, Ellen, Yin, she called them vanity metrics. So you may have 800000 followers, but you're not making any money. You just have right. a following, and she has, um, I think, on Instagram as of now, sixteen thousand. And then um, on Facebook, her page has like a thousand people. And honestly, she's making. She just did an episode. She's she made one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in the last quarter of her business. And again, mm-hmm. people think because she's a social media expert, like maybe on the surface they'll say, "How can she do that when she doesn't have a big following?" Like people may think. If you're a social media person, you got to have a huge following, like practice what you preach. But she is a marketing minimalist. That's what she calls herself. And um, I mean, she's made a whole business uh, off of this. And arguably, she might be a millionaire. That's her goal for the year, because she already hit six figures easy. And now mm. it's just about, um, you know, capitalizing on that momentum. That
0: mindset is totally relevant to musicians, because, you know, like you said, the the vanity metrics don't get you streams they don't get you sales of merch or or, you know authors doesn't get you sales of books it's the it's the super fans and that's another you know primary kind of idea that i started the podcast on have you are you familiar with um kevin
1: kelly's thousand true fans model i don't know if that's where this other youtuber got it from but he said that too that really um to make a living on youtube or on facebook you just need a thousand true fans
0: Mm. So yeah, the I mean the, the math basically breaks down as if you can get a uh, thousand people to spend a hundred dollars a year on whatever product you're selling, you've just made a six figure income. So and and the idea behind a super fan is somebody that not only supports you financially but also um, tells their friends you know, and evangelizes your product because they're super fans. So, you know, having 14,000 fans or a million streams of music it is all very well. But if those million streams don't actually, you know, because we know that and there's a whole big thing on, on, uh, on the news right now about Spotify and that whole mess, but, um, <laughs> you know, obviously musicians have to find multiple streams of income and, you know, creatives in general, I think it's very important because stuff shifts around so much. Um, you know, you, you have to find those people that are willing to spend a good chunk of change on your product and also be your marketing team.
1: Yeah. And that's a really good point that you're mentioning because um, I mean, musicians don't realize that A lot of the ways that they work are similar to millionaires because millionaires have multiple streams of income and uh, they do a lot of the same kind of mindfulness in their craft, the way that musicians do it in the form of practice and rehearsals and performances. So I really think that we need to maybe even break the whole image of like a starving artist because Mm -hmm. um, that's that's already kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And if you label yourself as such, then that's what you're gonna be. But the moment, again, we shift that vocabulary and we kind of are more mindful of the steps of the process, right? Maybe you play a gig that's like with 10 people, right? And you feel like that's the biggest failure of your life. But what if you get five super fans from that gig and that's 50%, you know, and that's a win. And we got to celebrate the little victories because those little victories all add up to that really big vision that everybody's kind of aiming for in the music industry. Absolutely. And, and that
0: goes for creatives in general. You know, it's, it's all very well to practice your dance routines, your writing, your podcast, but you have to be mindful of the whole business and all the other skills that go along with that in order to be successful. Um, but I, I just wanted to ask what, so, you know, celebrating big wins is really, really important. Um, and I'm a big, I don't know if you're a big fan of Tim, Tim Ferriss at all. Um, but he, so he, he's, um, he's got a huge podcast um like i think the story is that his girlfriend made him um make the or she made him this little pot with flowers and it was kind of you know kind of cheesy and it was like tim's uh big bucket of win or something like that and he'd had to write down like everything that went right that day and put it in and then when he was feeling down he would pull a bunch out and read them like, oh, I did that. Oh, I did that. So is there is there a strategy you use for, for celebrating wins, no matter how small?
1: Um. So I recently started having a set routine. That's not something that I was ever thinking that was going to be a part of my life, but it really has helped my, um, <laughs> my mind shift a little bit. And again, I'm naturally, I think, a very zealous or positive person, but it, even when you're good, right, you can still improve. So Um, I I don't know if I have it around me, but it's called the Finisher's Journal. And it's a planner and you have a morning routine and then an evening one. So in the morning, I like to do affirmations, um, gratitude. And then I literally, it's like a whole little page, but I do five affirmations, five gratitude statements, and then two goals for the day or goals for the week or whatever, short-term goals. And I literally speak them into existence. And Um, so taking the time to kind of think, okay, well, before the day even starts, what am I grateful for? You know, because when you do it at the beginning, I think that's more powerful than doing it at the end of the day. Um, doing it at the beginning means that anything else is already a plus, right? You're thankful for your life. You're thankful for your brain. You're thankful for knowledge. You're thankful for God, whatever it is. Right. And then everything else that happens to you in that day is already just abundance. So you're shifting your mind from scarcity to abundance. Because when you do it at the end of the day, you're saying, I'm going to judge my day and see what's good from it. So you're already starting at zero and adding. But when you do it in the morning, it's like you're starting at 100. And then everything else is just, you know, filler. So I, I like to do that. And then the goals thing is is very real. Um, sometimes you don't even realize you're, you're like spreading energy. So and this is a funny hmm. story, because it was it was really freaky to me. But I said, I am going to make a concrete investment in my upcoming business. And I said that out loud. And, you know, I, I forgot about that statement. And then um, two days later, <laughs> I felt crazy, but I invested in a business coach. And it was way out of my price range. And it felt very uncomfortable. But then when I looked back at the week, because we always have to look back, I saw that. And it just saying it out loud was the push I needed to actually mm-hmm. do it. And it was kind of a really weird thing to think about that even just uttering the words out loud will empower you to do it on your own so absolutely and
0: you know and 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 uh, obviously I'm I'm not uh, religious at all but you know just just that aside taking uh, from a psychological standpoint you know you can think stuff but until you actually write it down or you speak it orally your brain doesn't kind of receive it, let's say. So, it, in order for you to uh, even ruminate on it, or your brain to s- subconsciously ruminate it, you have to have a an actual um, materialization of that idea, be it writing down or, or speaking out loud. That's why, oftentimes, you'll find that if you're struggling with a problem and you start talking to someone about it, you'll figure it out yourself because your brain is is hearing it uh, externally and back in so it's that feedback loop
1: right and uh that's the thing that most technology kind of removes us of right um mm-hmm. that's like the best part of being a human the language the communication the conversation there's a lot of power in that and i feel like a lot of consumers are looking for content that explores that for them because they don't mm-hmm. want to have those conversations themselves yet and that's perfectly fine um That's, that's still a strategy, but until you kind of step into it and really have those conversations, even if it's just you alone, um, I think that that's when the real transformation happens and you shift from being a consumer to a creator.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I think I already covered like, what does music mean to you in the, in the whole, you know, where you came from dance wise. So I, am not going to ask you that unless, unless you specifically want to answer the question, what does music mean to you?
1: Um, For me, music is a really big, um, I guess, I don't want to say influence. It's like a moderator of my emotions because I can... I can, for all of my optimism, become a person who goes to a very dark place, who has imposter syndrome and all that stuff. So I tend to gravitate towards uh, really upbeat music and some EDM, which I judge myself for critically, but I don't care, whatever, I've accepted it. Um, (laughs) I like it and that's it. Um, And so I just really think that musicians um, at their core should remember why they wanted to become musicians, right? Right. And when you get in the rat race and you just start trying to chase fame and money and esteem and validation from your uh, community, you you lose sight of of what matters. Um, And and that's what's been guiding me through this whole journey. I, I loved dance, but dance is what I love so much because it made me feel something. And I'm just chasing that feeling in a new way in podcasting and in life coaching. So don't forget the feeling. People want to remove feelings a lot and they want to be mechanical or they want to be schemy. but um, musicians need to realize that they arguably have the biggest <laughs> sphere of influence if they get it right. And if they stay true to themselves and if they just remember to stay authentic to what guided them in the first place.
0: Fantastic.
1: And then uh, if
0: people want to reach out and they want to listen to your podcast, find out about you, where can they go?
1: So um, I'm on Instagram and that's m.rubiogarcia. The podcast is Beat the Clock Podcast. Um, It's available on uh, Podbean, Spotify. We're going to get it up on Apple Podcasts and um, on every other platform, ASAP so um yeah i'm really excited for people to kind of hear me out and um, i just really want to say if we're gonna wrap it up or whatever just to realize that life is full of um contrast right so if you're unable to start a journey because you're scared of the failure you wouldn't be able to appreciate the success without experiencing the failure and feeling those negative things or you know you wouldn't be able to want wealth if you haven't experienced poverty So um, that duality is something that actually is really powerful because it's Mm -hmm. fuel. And so instead of using it as something to kind of anchor yourself in to one state of being, use it to fuel any state that you want to kind of um, explore.
0: Absolutely. And at the end of the episode, I like to play a song, uh, usually by the artist I I interview, but do you have any uh, friends that
1: you know, may have a band that you'd like to give a shout out to? So I love this neighbor of mine, and she's called Monica, she's called, named Monica, and um, her band is called, there we go, The Five O's, and I believe they were a ska band, but they do a lot of really awesome covers, so if they give me their blessing, I mean, I'm all for giving them some love on this podcast.
0: Awesome, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just find out what song we'll play, and I'll, I'll mention that at the end. So cool. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate t- you taking the time. Um, continued success and thank you very
1: much. Thanks, Simon. You've been a part of that success. So I appreciate you.
0: Thanks as always for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, then I'd be extremely grateful if you would, I have added a page on musiconyourownterms.com to allow you to do just that. On that page, I have added some eBay affiliate links to equipment I use on the podcast. If you buy anything from eBay with these links, then I earn a commission which really helps me continue to provide this great content to you, the listener. Stay up to date with the podcast and find out who I'll be interviewing in upcoming episodes before they air by signing up for the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. On the site, you'll also find show notes for every episode, some pretty cool videos to check out from various guests and also links to their music and social media if you want to find out more. While you're there, don't forget to take a peek at the store and pick up something for your grandma. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is The Five O's with a cover of Stand By Me.
1: night has come, and the land is gone, and the moon is the only light we'll see. No, I won't be afraid, no, I won't be afraid, just as long as you stand, stand by.